0: Well, i like to title my sermon this morning, Make Your Faith Your Own. If I can talk from the subject of make your faith your own. When it comes to making your faith your own, uh, God is in the business a lot of times of sending somebody in some form or fashion to give you some type of important message. Um, He does this all throughout the Bible, but he also does this through dreams and visions. We see those in the Bible as well. He also can do this with an audible voice. In Acts chapter 9, Paul, as he's on the road to Damascus, he is on this, this donkey, on this horse, and he is knocked off, and bright light is there, and then we have the audible voice of God talking to him. But in this case, this morning from Matthew chapter three, we have a man by the name of John the Baptist. And in some ways, he's an individual that prepares the way. He makes the ground a little bit more fertile so people can be able to hear the message of repentance. So John the Baptist can also be referred to as what I'm calling the wilderness prophet. In verses 1 through 6, we have the wilderness prophet. Now, throughout the Bible, there are different types of, of, of prophets. And Pastor V lays out several kinds of prophets in a chapter in a book that he wrote called Revisiting Faithful Presence. He lists out three types of prophets. The first one is a court prophet. This is Daniel. That is one essentially who works within the system or institution to bring about some type of systemic change. The second is the exile prophet, like Ezekiel, who in a sense ignores the surrounding culture in favor of encouraging and exhorting the believing community. It's called exile prophets. But we also have wilderness prophets like John the Baptist. Wilderness prophets are those people that exhibit some type of holy impatience and keeps issues of society front and center before the culture and essentially speaks truth to power. We call these people wilderness prophets. This is Baptist the John who comes from the region, from the wilderness of Judea. This is the place that's associated with the tribe of Judah. John the Baptist is not only a wilderness prophet, but he also is the son of a priest named Zechariah and Elizabeth. If you remember in the Bible, Elizabeth was an individual who was barren. She wasn't able to have children for some particular reason. But it's interesting because when you read throughout the scriptures, we see typically when there is a woman that's not able to have a child for some particular reason. Essentially, that child is set apart in a very important, miraculous way to do great things for God. And we see from John the Baptist born, he's born on a mission to point people to Jesus. He's a messianic forerunner. And I love the way that the fourth gospel articulates it. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. We see John the Baptist, he came on a a mission, and I love how he's living up to what he's supposed to be doing. Chapter 3 opens up with him preaching, with him proclaiming, with him giving good news to a dying world. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, notice the word repent is a present tense command, which is important because Matthew is saying preaching a baptism of repentance is an ongoing change of mind and actions. It's not merely just a brain knowledge. It's not merely just intellectual assent. It is also referring to a lifestyle transformation. I think many of us, that is important for us to think about because when we think about the idea of knowing God, making our faith our own, in some sense, sometimes it just stops at the intellectual. It stops at the academic. And don't get me wrong, there's important uh, classes and doctrines for us to know, for us to believe, but it also is important for us to live them out. And I think for some of us, in our culture, in our day and age, that might be a challenge for us. That may be difficult. Keep in mind, Matthew is also talking about lifestyle transformation. This is an important feature when we're talking about making your faith your own. Now, some of you know that the Gospels, there's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and different Gospels have different wording or different phrases when it talks about the kingdom. We have the kingdom of God. We have the kingdom of Christ. We have the kingdom of heaven. Matthew loves the kingdom of heaven. But essentially, they are all synonymous. And essentially, they communicate the idea of the sovereign rule of God. Or as Dr. Tony Evans would say, the comprehensive kingdom agenda. This theme can be traced all the way back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Now, notice, too, that the kingdom of God was not only the preaching theme of John the Baptist. It also was the preaching theme of Jesus the Christ. He says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is Jesus talking in Mark chapter one, verse 15. The gospel of the kingdom. Now, as Levi was reading, you probably heard different phrases about John's attire, about what he was wearing. John has an interesting pair of clothes on, camel's hair, leather belt around his waist. Very interesting, very weird in some ways that we would probably think about, right? But notice that his diet, the food that he ate, also is mentioned there, locusts and wild honey. Now, I don't know if many of you eat any locusts today. Probably shouldn't. But know that in this context, in this time, that was the food of the poor and the marginalized. Those that would be seen as outcasts, those that would be seen, seen on the outskirts of society. This was the food that they would eat. And if you read 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8, you'll notice that John the Baptist comes in the same line or comes in the same vein of the prophet Elijah, who can also be considered a wilderness prophet. And notice he also has the same kind of attire on. The same type of clothing on, and again, it points to those people that are marginalized on the outskirts of society, as some of the prophets were. Understand that God's people. We're anticipating for some type of prophet, some type of leader, some type of messenger to come on the scene to give a message of hope, a message of reconciliation, a message of restoration. Know that during this time, remember, is about 400 years of silence before Matthew, this book, comes on the scene. So the people are anticipating a word from the Lord. And John the Baptist, being this messianic forerunner, is in some ways preparing the way for Jesus Christ. People are anticipating and hoping for a good message of hope. What about you? How many times have you been sitting around waiting for a good news to come? Maybe it's around Christmas time. Maybe it's around waiting for that job offer. Maybe if you are a child in here, maybe it's, uh, you know, um, some money or a gift that your parents promised you. You are waiting for something good. You're anticipating for something good. Think of that when we think about these people that are waiting on the edge of their seat for a good word. I don't know about you, Roosevelt, but I just find it very comforting to know, and a good thing, That God can use some people who by society's standards would be considered outcast. He can use people that are from society's standards considered poor. He can use people that society will look at and maybe turn their nose up at. And he can use those people in such a way that brings about reconciliation that brings about repentance, that brings about the good news. I'm encouraged by that. I don't know about you, but I am. The message of repentance that people, so much so that people from Jerusalem and Judea and all the regions came around to be baptized and confessing their sins. Now, I do believe that because of the message that he was preaching, that obviously helped people hear the word and and come. But I do think his attire preached as well. I think about what he had on also maybe drew people in to say, let me hear what's going on. Again, John the Baptist is on a mission and being used by God in such a way. But what's interesting about this text is that you also have two other groups that show up on the scene. And they come to John the Baptist. You've heard of them. They're called Pharisees and Sadducees. But in my text, I'm just going to call them the religious pretenders. We see this in verses 7 through 10, the religious pretenders. But when, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with Repentance. Pharisees, Pharisees, Pharisees. They were the members of a Jewish party that exercised strict interpretation of the Mosaic law. They became to be the primary leading voice of Judaism following the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in AD 70. One thing about the Pharisees, you may have heard of them. They can be very, very dogmatic on things. I would imagine that they probably came across as pretty arrogant and cocky on things. They probably had a disposition that probably resembled a us versus them mentality. I would imagine that they probably felt like they were right about everything. Y'all know any people like that? Got any friends like that? Got any family members like that? I don't know. Maybe they were the modern day example of white evangelicalism. (laughs) Can't say amen. Ought to say ouch. (laughs) I would go on to venture that there are probably a lot of Pharisees that are running around in churches. And in some ways, they could be the religious pretenders. What's interesting, too, when we get there, Matthew 23, Jesus also rebukes the Pharisees. And what I think is very interesting is that Jesus tells the Pharisees, or he's talking to the, to the crowd, and he says something of the, of the, of the sort of, Do what the Pharisees say, but don't do as they do. They have a lot of intellectual knowledge. They know the Bible. They know the scriptures. They have the information, but their orthopraxy, not so much. Even Jesus has something to say about the Pharisees. And I think that, if we're going to be honest, Some of us come from a heritage of Pharisaism. But there's also another group, the Sadducees. And this was another Jewish party of this time. They also held the scriptures to be very, very right and very, very appropriate. They had supreme authority for the scriptures to the exclusion of oral traditions from former generations. So essentially, these were the type of people that was like, no, it's all about the Bible. Forget about traditions. We don't care about that. It's all about what does the Bible say. But what's also fascinating about the Sadducees, they denied the resurrection. So these were the anti-spiritual people, if you will. And I just think that as John is talking to these people, he rebukes them as well. These were the people that, let's say, didn't believe in the miracles. They didn't believe in the supernatural. Y'all know anybody like that? Got any friends like that? Got any family members like that? Got any classmates like that? Maybe the Sadducees were the modern-day example of those overly scientific people. That their worldview is encompassed with just believing in a natural phenomenon. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you have to make room for the supernatural. God does work In mysterious ways. God does do miracles today. Yes, I said miracles today. These miracles are not just what we read in the Bible. God is in the business of doing miracles today. Amen? When somebody ultimately becomes a follower of Jesus, that is a miracle. Amen? It takes a supernatural work of God for that to even happen. That is a miracle. When you've been praying for whatever that thing you've been praying about, and God actually answers that prayer, that is a miracle. Amen? We try to, like, easily try to explain it away, but no, that is a miracle. And if none of those things get you, having a baby is a miracle. Amen, women. Amen. The fact that that can actually happen is a miracle. God works in a lot of miracles, and we should take heed of that today. Now, one way that we can read this verse or read this text is not necessarily the Pharisees and Sadducees were coming to be baptized, but I think that we can look at this as they were coming to see what John was doing. In other words, they came to the vicinity to see what was going on perhaps maybe to see if John the Baptist is doing things right. Again, these were the Jewish leaders of that day, and Baptist of John calls them, you brood of vipers. Now listen, Roosevelt, this was a very derogatory term during this biblical time. I mean, I wish I could actually say a modern-day example, but if I did... Y'all will look at Pastor John like I'm crazy. But maybe I should because I'm kind of on my way out. I won't say it for a moment. But just know that this was not a compliment that he's giving to the Jewish leaders of his day. I believe John's harsh statement on them is because he is skeptical of their authenticity of their faith. He calls them offspring of of, of vipers. This communicates the idea that New Testament scholar Craig Keener says, essentially, this is the imagery. This imagery that he's saying is linked to people killing and crucifying prophets, sages, and scribes who are sent by Jesus. Again, so being called, this is not a compliment. He tells them they need to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. John says something that I think is very important for us, Roosevelt. He tells them essentially, do not lean on your ancestral heritage to validate your faith. Do not lean, do not ultimately lean on the great Old Testament saint, Abraham's faith. We know that he was a great man of faith. Do not ultimately lean on this biblical character for your justification. Uh, If I can make it plain, Roosevelt, uh, when it comes to making our faith our own, do not ultimately lean on your grandmother's faith. Do not ultimately lean on your mom or your dad's faith. In other words, just because they are followers of Jesus does not automatically make you. Now, for some of us, I know that grew up in environments and households, with, 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 that are Christian. In some sense, you just kind of like, oh, this is just kind of what it is. But at some point in your life, you have to make your faith your, your own. Uh, There's a story of this girl who was talking to this pastor, and they were preparing for uh, baptism, So typically when baptism is about to happen, uh, the pastor and the the, the family meet together and they kind of talk about what baptism is, uh, look at some Bible passages, and obviously the pastor wants to know what is this person's story and why do you want to be baptized? a very, very important thing, right? As they were having this conversation, the pastor asked that penetrating question, why do you want to be baptized? Baptize. This is what the girl said. She said, after a, a, a pause for a couple of seconds, she said, well, my dad is a Christian. My mom is a Christian. Everybody else I know is a Christian. So therefore, I am a Christian. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a communal aspect to our faith. Amen. There is a communal aspect to our faith. That is very, very true. But there is also an individual aspect to our faith as well. Uh, It's a both and. The Bible has a category for, 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 for both. But at some point, you have to make a decision for yourself. You can be close to the kingdom, homeboy, homegirl, but not be in it. It's possible to have some religious pretenders among us. And I want to graciously, gently invite you to make your faith your own. John the Baptist tells the Pharisees and Sadducees, he says, don't presume the faith of Abraham. Verse 9. So essentially, he's calling us, calling you, calling me, calling the world. To make your faith your own. And this is why Jesus is important, because genuine belief in him, you can make your faith your own. This passage is designed to instruct us that entering the kingdom of God means you repent from your sin and you get baptized. Baptism doesn't save you, but it is rightly understood it is a part of your salvation story. You're doing that out of obedience to what God has said. It is an outward expression of what already has happened inwardly. Essentially, there are people that may be verifying their faith on the basis of their parents' faith, on the basis of somebody else's faith. And pastorally, I want to say that's not good enough. That's not good enough for your salvation. Your faith needs to be linked to genuinely to the ultimate Jesus the Christ, the one that John the Baptist prepared the way for, the one that he says that I'm not the light, but I came to bear witness about the light. That is what your faith needs to be in and needs to be in faith in Christ alone. This happens by us understanding that we are... In need of a savior, that we are sinners, that we need to confess our sin before God, that we need the remedy that God put in place all the way back in the book of Genesis, that there would be somebody that would come and take away the pains of the world. Somebody that would come to take away the brokenness that is happening, that has happened, that is happening. And until the new heavens, new earth is realized, will continue to be happening. We need the one that suffered and died and rose from the grave because he is the Messiah. He is the anointed one of Israel. He is the one that have come to save all of us. If we genuinely repent and believe in him and trust in him, then we will have presence with God through his death and his burial and his resurrection. So making your faith your own starts ultimately by recognizing who you are, but who God is in light of who you are. Jesus is not the only one, he's not only the one who suffered, died, and resurrected. But in verses 11 through 12, we see that he is the mighty one. He is the mighty one. John says that I baptize you with water for repentance, but one is coming that is mightier than me, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. So I'm actually working on a new Bible translation, and I'm calling it the Pastor JT translation. And it's going to be coming out hopefully in a couple of years. But I like to read this and say, whose Jordans I'm not worthy to carry. (laughs) Ultimately, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Pastor V calls this Holy Ghost fire. And this is a mysterious thing that is really hard to kind of explain what that is. But it seems to suggest that this is the new birth where God gives a person power and strength to ultimately believe and to do the things that he has called them to do. And essentially, the last couple verses of this text, Roosevelt, is is, is a judgment warning. Uh, Matthew's given a a, a warning of, of judgment. And this is something that is very unpopular, something that we want to easily gloss over, because we can't think of a good, good God punishing people. No, that is too hard for us to grasp. But one thing about this church, when we say engage all people with all of Jesus, it means we have to take all of Jesus. And there are certain things that in the Bible, as we read them, that, yeah, may make us a little uncomfortable. But if we truly are going to make our faith our own and believe in Jesus, then we have to believe in all of who Jesus is and All of what Jesus says. Now, that doesn't mean that it's easy to explain. It doesn't even mean that we'll like it. Amen, somebody. But we have to take of all of who he is. And for those that ultimately don't truly, genuinely believe in Jesus, the text does simply say that there is a ultimate judgment that will take place. And this is why making our faith our own is important, so that we can be in the kingdom of God and we can serve God because of who he is. So as we come to a close, before we enter our time of communion, I want to encourage you before you leave this morning to make your faith your own. That's my encouragement this morning, by turning away from all of your iniquities All of your transgressions, all of your pharisaism, all of your self-righteousness, all of your whatever, and ultimately believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church said, amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you have given us the gift of faith. Faith that we can actually believe in who you are and what you say. I pray for those this morning that may be in whatever state of mind, whatever situation, and I pray that you can reveal yourself to them. That you can warm their hearts in such a way that they can believe. Not that they'll have all their questions answered right away, Not that everything is ultimately going to get better instantly for them, even though that you're in the business and you're able to do that as well. But I just ask for a genuine, honest heart posture that they can believe. And for those people that are on the fence, I pray that you can help them with their unbelief. So as we come to the tables, Lord, I ask that you can be able to meet us, meet them and be present. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.